Hello, I'm Oliver Wong, and you're listening to Heat Rocks. As has become tradition, we usually do a rerun or medley show for the week of Thanksgiving. And by coincidence, we realized that 2020 marked the 20th anniversary of a particular cluster of three albums that have appeared on the show all of them produced by the team known as the Soulquarians. We, of course, have talked a lot about the Soulquarian Collective in different episodes, and so we thought we'd put together a medley episode that revisits all of the LPs celebrating their 20th anniversary this year. We start with one of our earliest episodes. This goes all the way back to number six, featuring rapper Il Camille, joining us to dig into Common's heavily praised LP from the year 2000, Like Water for Chocolate. Hey, yo, hey. Kick in the base, you chase the paper like a bitch in a race. Spin on the deck, still ain't picked up the ace. The honey styles of run with kick in the race. So, yes, we gotta ask though, why common and why like water for chocolate? That album, and just common as an MC, as an artist, I mean, he talks to his community, to the ladies. You know what I mean? He's still very brash on the mic. I don't know. He's just like the most balanced MC that I know, especially mm. if you if you want to put him in a conscious category. To me, he embodies everything. And I just, he's a perfect pick. And then like Water for Chocolate was, to me, his most complete album. Mm. Um, I mean, So Aquarians and Jay Dilla on there, it's like, Come on. I don't know. It can't be beat. Like, it's like kind of hard. So... Yeah, it inspired me a lot. What was your introduction to Common? Was it on this album? Were you listening to his you know, stuff like When Did It All Make Sense or Resurrection? Or if we really want to go all the way Can back. Can I Borrow a Dollar? Borrow, yeah. We mess my with dad it? introduced me to Can I Borrow a Dollar? Okay. And I think that I liked it because he liked it. Mm. But um, Resurrection and One Day Will, you know, One Day It All Make Sense were the albums where I was like, oh, I'm a fan for real. Mm. You know, that's when I really like tapped in, tapped in, and I just. I became like a common like connoisseur ever since. So in terms of Common's entire discography, where would you place like Water for Chocolate? For me, number one. Wow. For me. Mm. You know what I mean? Because I think, how old was I at the time that album came out? 16. Yeah. So high school. Right. Uh, identity was, you know, mm. like a thing for me then. Because I knew who I was. But, you know, in high school, sometimes that can be challenged. And I felt like Common was speaking to, like, identity mm. and community and all the things that I recognize in my own family. But haven't heard on record from a man, like, not not during that time. So mm. that's why it's, like, important to me. You know what I mean? Where were you in terms of your career as an MC? Were you already starting to write your rhymes then? Were you thinking about it? I was just a girl freestyling at lunch. You know, I didn't learn the structure of 16 bar verse till 2011. Yeah. So during that time, it was just ciphers at at lunch. It was just listening to beats and, you know, typical high school hip hop appreciation type mess, you know. I had posters on my wall, nothing major. <laughs> I, I didn't even think I was going to be an MC. Hmm. I never thought about it. I mean, I was just thinking what you're saying about what you identified with Common and that he wasn't necessarily the first, certainly not the first MC to get introspective. No. But in that era, there were a few others quite like him that were doing it. And of right. course, you know, throughout the 2000s, everyone else sort of jumped on that. And eventually we get Drake out of it. We don't have to go there. But right. what was it about 
<laughs> Morgan's looking at me like, why are you throwing shots at the god? But what was it about Commons introspection that spoke to you? And, and wh- how was it different than whoever else you were listening to? Like, who, who else were you bumping then that you were kind of getting that maybe not enough of that, whereas Common filled that void? Well, you know, Slum Village was in existence during that time, and I was a big Slumville mm-hmm. fan. Yeah. I was listening to a lot of different people. I mean, I was still listening to Dog Pound, mm-hmm. and I was listening to Erica Badu because, like, the Soulquarian movement had kind of, like— been pushed into the forefront. I was into the roots. But just to have like all those different, I guess, uh, ideologies like represented in one man, like one single being, I was Mm. like, okay, for sure. Like even Black Star was around, you know, but that's still two people. To hear like dual perspective in one man was kind of cool. And I was like, damn, he represents like men that raised me. He sounds... Like he knows who he is, but it's conflicted and it's talking about the world and family and little trivial stuff, uh, you know. So there's two different topics that I want to use this as a jumping off point. Let's start with the one that's more fun, which is talk a little bit about the Soquarians because you keep bringing them up. Yeah. Remind the audience, who were they and why were they important in terms of as a production team? Well, Amir Thompson, Questlove, um, James Poyser. <clears throat> to me, he was like the front runner. He brought everybody together. And then... Tribe wasn't Q-tip a part of the Soquarians? Yep, Jay Dilla. Jay Dilla. D'Angelo. D'Angelo. Bilal. Bilal. Oh, and that's, that, oh, yeah, Bilal, yeah. So, Badu. Badu, of course. So it was just a collective of musicians and artists and creatives, and they worked on this album together as they worked on Erica Badu's album, as they worked on the Roots album. And it's just like, kind of had like a native tongues type deal. Type, you know, set up. As a family collective. Like a family mean, collective, right. yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, that was my go to. Yeah. Anything and, they would do. And were incredibly influential in that, I mean, as you point out, in that exact moment around late 90s, early 2000s, I mean, they did Black, they did Voodoo by D'Angelo, they did this album. I mean, if you just think, look at the stuff they touched. And, Mama's Gun? Exactly. I always thought I always thought the Soquarians would stay around a little bit longer than they did. I feel like their I mean their influence was intense in that moment, but yeah. then a couple of years go by and then you, you didn't hear about them anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember, um, because, I mean, this was an album that, that really hit with a lot of different communities at the time, and one of the critiques that were thrown at Common was that this was him at, like, peak Koofy rap stage, <laughs> and that, and, and really, Koofy rap became this sort of shorthand, meaning that he's too soft, he's too, um, you know, corny, and all these other critiques that I think have really lingered around Common for, for mm. you know, you know he's got 11 albums now, but it's yeah. sort of this label that for a contingent within the hip-hop community. Common is just something, he's just not hard enough for them, whatever that really means. Right. And I'm wondering, as someone who's you know, an unabashed fan, what do you think of that criticism? I pretty much disregarded it. I'm like, 
I mean, are you really listening to what he's saying? You know what I mean? Like, he talks about, like, going after somebody that robbed his grandmother. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Like, he wasn't... Common wasn't, like, soft on the records. His his flow isn't soft. Nothing about him is soft, but it's... it's uh, but it's soulful. And it's I think, soulful. It's right. just right. Like, he was just right on every record. Maybe because, you know, maybe I'm biased. Maybe I just love it too much to see where the softness came in. <laughs> but I just felt like every everything he did on every record was appropriate for that record. And he showed a lot of, like, range. You know what I mean? From Nag Champa. That was the vibe. I think on this album he was more comfortable in displaying the duality. I think it was always there. I mean, everybody has a dual nature, you know what I mean? It's just who's comfortable in, like, expressing it? Who's who's really comfortable going from hot to cold? Or, you know, calling a woman a bee and in the next minute a queen? Like, I, I appreciate that. That's because that's how human beings are. Right. So I just felt like nothing has changed about him. He just grew to be more comfortable. So speaking of that heat. Yeah. I mean, I know you love every song off this album. Yeah. But if you had to pick the one fire track, what would it be? Dang, man. Why, Oliver? Why? <laughs> I'm not going to I'm not gonna say Nag Champa, even though that's the, my go-to. Ghetto Heaven. Mm. Ooh. That was crazy. Okay. And the video was crazy. Let's and take... Zinka Stewart did it. Like, that was crazy. Yes, yes. I mean, look at how it started. If you want to start off any song right, you got to put D'Angelo in the front. <laughs> You're not going to lose. Agreed. Right? True. That is truth. Like, Agreed. So you set, you set yourself up for the win. Then the ghetto, girls is thick, righteousness is narrow. I got my third eye on the sparrow. What? Like his flow just staggered and just steady. And so it's the drum pattern. It's not too much. It's just right. It's just right. And it's a cover. It's the come family on. stand, yeah. ghetto heaven, Yeah, come right? on, man. So you can't, you can't be mad. You can't. He did it, like, come beautifully. And then, the, and then the second rendition of this was even doper. So I was just like, you know what? Because I'm in. Macy Gray on With that. Macy Gray. Feeling at times that I might just murder. Yo, but that ain't what I was sent for. I want folks to say his life and meant more than any kind. I might need a moment. <laughs> Okay. Come on. I think I already know the answer to this question <laughs> just based on our conversation so far. But Cummins worked with three very distinct phases uh, in terms of who he's paired himself with with producers, right? He started with No ID. Yeah. This is now the, Sol- the Soquarian era. Uh, and then Kanye, right? By the yeah. time we get to be in, in, in Finding Forever. Um, do you have a favorite amongst those three? I mean, I'm, I'm guess you're going to say Soquarians. But... I'm still going to say Soquarians. Yeah. But when Kanye slipped up in there, mm. he is a child of Dilla. Mm. You know what I mean? So you still hear it in him, too, you know, in the Chicago. Yeah. So they make sense together. Yeah. So I, it's a tie. It's a tie. I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about the art okay. for, like, Water for Chocolate. Yeah. Because I think nothing said this is a different album than the artwork. Mm. You're like, okay, colored only. 
You want it, to describe it real quick? Yeah, it's a green and white background. It's uh, it's but it's black and white, right. and it's black folks, and it's a colored only right. fountain. So nothing brings you into this album is going to be markedly different from the last one. And I'm so serious. It's a stark image, and I always see that in a in a vinyl collector's picture. That's the, well, it's one of the albums that's constantly photograph framed because it's prolific. How yeah. did it register to you the first time you saw it? I was like, dang. And that's when I really start tapping into Gordon Parks. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Shout out to Common for that because I now that I'm realizing it, the reason why this album is so important is because I started delving into like all of the artists that were featured or you know symbolic to the album. So for me, seeing that, I was like, damn, he put that on the cover. He put that on the cover. On the cover. That's the cover. I was tripping. You can't help but crack it open after that. Just to see. Just to see. Just to see. Just to see. That's why we need the Soul Clarions back. Because That's why. <laughs> I mean, we're obviously going to be missing missing Dilla, oh. uh, which is the heart. But uh, and This is a bad pun, but the heart and the light. I never knew a la, 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 a la like this. Gotta be something for me to write this. Queen, I ain't seen you in a minute. Wrote this letter and finally decided to send it. Signed, sealed, delivered for us to grow together. At some point, we need to do a proper episode just about Dilla. So whether it's a Slum Village album or one of Dilla's, you know, solo tracks. But this is a good, you know, opportunity to get into it a little bit. And, of course, rest in peace to, 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 uh, to J.D., you know, this this moment, too, in this album, I feel like is really when Dylan makes this leap, partly because Slim Village is also coming out and he yeah. you know, produces the whole group. But the stuff that he started doing with Tribe, started doing with The Far Side in the mid-90s, really blossoms in this moment. And you really can feel his touch on stuff like like Water for Chocolate and like the stuff that he was doing with The Roots, all the Soquarian stuff. When did you first start listening to Dilla production thinking, man, this guy's got something different. He's really he's really working with something here that I'm gravitating to. Well, my cousins, I'm, you know, always just hanging around my big cousins. So I remember hearing Dilla production and not realizing it was Dilla production. I mean, Farside, you yeah. know. Um, but I think Slum Village was like my real introduction in that's when my like appreciation for him as a producer like really grew and as an MC I ain't going to lie like I was like dang he could he's really like the fourth like rapper you know so to speak you know um to me as a like a producer slash MC he was one of the best and people often forget that cuz they credit him more as a producer but his verses was crazy yeah like, even on Thelonious, on, you know, on, on like, Water for Ch- his verse was killer. And I was like, damn, got a murder comment on this one. I can't <laughs> believe it. It's crazy. But Dilla, to me, was was one of the best. But I, I couldn't say that until I listened to, like, Water for Chocolate, until I heard more Slum albums. Like, I was sold after those. Let's dig into at least one more song off this album. Let's go with Doing It, which was one of the other singles. Uh, uh, 
Motherfucker, move back. I pursue rap at the pace of a new jack. It's miscellaneous numbers and shoes stack. Bruce rap, I deliver for the hungry and underprivileged. Something different from these hollering, grunting niggas. This is business. So the question remains, was this song directed at someone or was it just kind of your, you know, generic braggadocio in terms of I'm not really speaking to anyone or was he actually really speaking to somebody? <laughs> theories, theories here. I, I don't, man, okay. When he said, you claim says your city ain't got gangs, I'm like, well, he's definitely not talking about somebody on the West Coast. No, we've got gangs. We, we're the gangland. Right. So okay. I was like, who is he talking about? I was like, who is he really talking about? I don't know. Just certain lines were like, I don't know. It was I a little too specific. Too specific. Mm. And you know, he's like subliminal sneak diss or MC extraordinaire. So I'm like, I don't know. I feel like the people that, the people know. You know, you know how you know subliminals for you? I feel like those people know, but they just never spoke on it publicly. I, I think, think that also speaks to um, sort of the duality that you talked about, that yeah. don't, you you all trapped up in him burning this incense, but behind this incense right. is a diss. Don't miss it, because <laughs> he said something, right? So he can go there. I mean, this is still the guy that called Drake Canada Dry. I had to bring him. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> so we want to ask if you could sum up Like Water for Chocolate in three words. If you had to describe it in three words, what would they be? Heartfelt, genuine, and uh, beautiful. Times are we still close. I ride far away, away, away from what you accustomed to hearing every day. You know the dope chopping, gun popping, homies dying. I'm amongst it. Say the war stories from Private Ryan. I ain't We'll be back with more of our Soulquarian 20th anniversary medley show after some words from our sibling Max Fun podcast. Keep it locked. Hey, friends, Jesse here, the founder of Maximum Fun, and I have some really great news to share with you. This year has brought a lot of changes for all of us. And one tradition that we were grateful to be able to hold on to is our annual pin sale to benefit charity. This year, through your generosity and love of pins, you helped raise $95,400 for Give Directly. If you're a member and you bought pins, they'll ship in January. In the meantime, your support will provide direct cash relief to families impacted by COVID-19 across the United States. Even in this incredibly tough year, the Max Fund community remains extraordinarily kind. And whether or not you bought pins, you can continue to help by heading to givedirectly.org. And as always, thank you. Hey, you like movies? What about coming up with movie ideas over the course of an hour? Because that's what we do every week on Story Break, a writer's room podcast where three Hollywood professionals have an hour to come up with a pitch for a movie or TV show based off of totally zany prompts. Like that time we reimagined Star Wars based on our phone's autocomplete. Luke Skywalker is a family man and it's Star Wars, but it's a good idea. (laughs) How about that time we broke the story of a bunch of Disney Channel original movies based solely on the title and the poster? Okay, Sarah Hyland is a 50-foot woman. Let's just go with it, guys. (laughs) Or the time we finally cracked the Adobe Photoshop feature film. Stamp tool is your Woody, and then the autofill is the new Buzz Lightyear. (laughs) Join us as we have a good time imagining all the movies Hollywood is too cowardly to make. Story Break comes out every Thursday on Maximum Fun. I don't know why I'm using this voice now.
and we are back here on Heat Rocks with a special Soquarian 20th anniversary medley show. Next up, we go back to our episode with future soul artist Bosco, who helped us break down Erica Badu's sophomore album from 2000, Mama's Gun. Let's start with this. Okay. How were you introduced to Erica Badu? I think it was one of those Saturday mornings. I was babysitting, and uh, Apple Tree came on. That was during the time where Walmart would drop things <laughs> at like midnight. And if you don't want to be down with me, you don't want to be from my Apple Tree. And if you don't want to be down with me, then you don't want to be from my Apple Tree. And if you don't At the time, I was too young to really understand what I was seeing, but it just felt warm. It felt familiar. And um, I identified visually with somebody mm. that looked like me as mm. like a 11, 12, 13. I, don't, I can't remember how old I was back then, but I was like, oh, holy shit, this this woman thing looks like me and it mm. just felt good. So, yeah. This is when you were still living in or outside of Atlanta? Savannah. Savannah. Okay. I'm originally from Savannah, Got Georgia. It. I moved to Atlanta right out of college. At the time, did you know that Erica was from the South, from Texas, or did that matter to you at all in terms of that identification that you're talking about? I feel like I was too young to really even know a lot of that, um, but I didn't know that she was in the South until I think Mama's gone. Okay. Mm -hmm. So speaking of that album, I mean, you could have chosen anything out of that incredible catalog that she has <laughs> why why go with mama's gun i felt like during that time i was learning about myself i was learning about music it was also during the time i think it was the roots mm -hmm. i was like one of those kids in college i would go to the library and just like dig dig for files and that's when people will be passing out like um people's rehearsal tapes demos during that time and it's like yo you heard the new Nikki Jean or you heard the new J. Davey rehearsals I'm like nah but put me on so we'll be in like the library like swapping albums so that was like the beginning of me learning this yeah. genre was like I was exposed to like the underground for the first time um, living in Savannah Georgia so from there I think it was like D'Angelo Common and then I was introduced to to this project just by like digging with the artists that I was listening to at the time. We're obviously going to get much deeper into the album, yeah. but I'm just wondering in terms of where this album exists within, again, the greater kind of pantheon mm -hmm. of, of Erica Badu albums. What is it about this particular album that just has resonated with you? Is it because of how you discovered, you know, where you were in life then? Is it something about the kind of inherent content? It was more of the language. Mm. It was it was her language. It, it was what she was saying. It was her approach to the, to the music. How the horns? She would have a whole horn section. Like people really wasn't doing that. It kind of puts me in the mind of like Sly and the Family Stones, the Gap Band, where people were just really doing, you know, musical arrangements yeah. from bridges to interludes. Like she was able to kind of like the green eyes transition the song into a whole nother, you know, moment. As a young creative and musician, that was something that I was longing for. I knew that I liked it, but I didn't know how to get there. But I thought, but mm -hmm. I knew that she would be the person to introduce 
me to the sound and I just began to grow with her as an artist and I feel like now that I'm mature and I'm a woman I can actually like go back and process these songs like like mm -hmm. where I am and I was able to grow with her into this yeah. now yeah. he saw his reflection in me and he smiled at me when he turned to me then he said it's very interesting that of all the albums that we've talked about on heat rocks that uh, we've already aired in the that our listeners will be hearing in the weeks to come. A lot of people have picked sophomore albums, and maybe that's just a coincidence, but when, when uh, Bosco said she wanted to talk about Mama's Gun, like, there's another second mm -hmm. album. And the thing about the second album is the first album, right, is you have worked for years to get that, that <laughs> yeah. opportunity. So, <laughs> yeah. it, you know, it's, yeah. it's condensing, like, yeah. a whole lifetime there. Yeah. The second album is what happens after you've had that initial success, mm -hmm. in many cases. I mean, if we're going to pluck one song to kind of illustrate that, it would be the sequel to On and On, which is sort of ellipsis, <laughs> ampersand, on, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I just had forgotten how much of it is about her responding to her own stardom. It's a very meta song because <laughs> on, sure. on and on is what blew her up in 97. Uh, yeah. And this is sort of, all right, here's where I've been the last three years. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you what people have been saying about me. Right. Like, I was like, wow, she was really going deep on this one. <laughs> and, and I wish I knew, like, who who did the beat for this? Because this beat is just so hard. It was hard on the original on and on. And it's hard on this response song. It certainly sounds, I mean, it's very so quarrying. I mean, 1,000%. We've been talking about a lot of diff different songs off of this album, but Bosco, do you have a fire track off of uh, Mama's Gun? It's green Eyes. Oh. Green, green eyes. Why this song? I relate to the vulnerability. I relate to the fact that she can admit, like, I fucked up in the beginning of the song. Like, mm. I feel like this song is a tide or a current. Like, like she admits, like, this is how I feel. It might not be right, but this, I'm just being honest. But then she comes back around when the song changes. It was like, you know what? I'm sorry. I love you. It hurts me. You told me you love me too. So it's, it's, as, as a woman, we sometimes, people don't Im admit or we are scared to admit that we're wrong because we're, we're seen as we nurture, we hold it down, but we can sometimes fall through the cracks. And she was like, it's the end of the project. This is, you know, I got my bags too. What's up? But that whole resolve and her admitting and facing her reflection, that's what she, she spoke. She spoke a lot about reflection in this project between her and, I guess, her and whoever her intimate lover or partner was at the time. 
I mean, the song is an arc. You got 10 minutes of the seven stages of grief. Yeah. You go from, I don't know the order, but there's certainly mm-hmm. all of them, denial, acceptance, anger, mm-hmm. fear. And she takes you on that yes, journey yes. of I'm insecure, I'm jealous, and jealousy's hard to to admit. Yeah. To the implication is that this person yeah. has moved on. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the metaphor. Yeah. And she actually does have green eyes, so it yes. works. So good. <laughs> um, and you know, a question that that we we sort of ask at the beginning, but I just want to know why. What makes this a heat rock for you? What makes this a hot album for you? It's one of the first projects besides I think like either Michael Jackson or Prince where I was like this is what true musicianship sounds like this is what it feels like when I die when I want to go down in history I want to be able to have a body of work like this the the players who she was able to collaborate with to write with even her personal style changing through this whole process is um, what I wish and strive to create. Bosco, as a singer yourself, I mean, you have to think about your inflection and how you're using the voice and, and molding these words. What is it that you hear in what Erica does with, with her instrument? I like her tales, like how she like goes up on some nerves. Yes. It, it kind of reminds me of like the trumpet with the thing on it. Yes. On the on the right. Like the pitch. Yeah, what, do they the tone? The, what do they call it? What do they call it? You know, it's like a it looks like a toilet plunger almost. It does. But, yeah, like because in the beginning of Green Eyes, it sounds like she's singing through. Yeah. Yeah. Like one of those. Like a wah wah. Yeah. Thing. Right. Yeah. Right. Very juke mm-hmm. joint. If you had to pick a track off of here to cover, and maybe that seems sacrosanct to you, but if you had to, what would you want to take on? Orange Moon's another one. It's like a still water in the beginning of it, and how it just builds and builds and builds, and it comes back down again, like the tide. Mm. I, I keep coming back to water with her, water and tide. Cause it's like it'll come behind and she'll come back. It's a low tide, and yeah. then she'll come back, and then she'll resolve again. Pisces too, and she said she was born underwater. Yeah. So water is a <laughs> water is a recurrent recurrent theme. Yeah. If we're going to be using water metaphors, when we think about the tide coming in and out, as, as Bosco was saying a moment ago, the thing about Erica and her output is that when the tide goes out, it stays out for quite a while. Yep. I mean, mm-hmm. she's had. Maybe. And I I count the 2015 mixtape. How do you feel about the fact that her output does seem, it's not so much even inconsistent as it is unpredictable? I feel that we're still digesting what she gave us. Ooh, that's a good answer. Um, I'm still uncovering her catalog. Mm. Like, if I'm just getting, like, really understanding this, like, I'm still learning her catalog, just like I'm still learning Prince, just like I'm how 
Lauren Hill still can tour off of one project. I know she's not the best at live shows. That's a whole other episode. <laughs> no, but I mean, I'm still digesting. Yeah, you know their their work. So I'm not too mad. Yes, I would like more, but she's on the road enough for me to be cool. Mm-hmm. And she reaches out like she reaches back. Mm-hmm. That's important. She's always knows what's going on. She's always picking people up, co-signing. So that's cool for me. If you had to describe Mama's Gun in, in three words, what would those three words be? Whimsical, mm. textured, mm. honest. Whimsical, textured, and honest. I like that. I do too. Yeah. <laughs> Last but not least, even though we've already rerun this entire episode before, there's no way we could run a Soulquarian show without acknowledging arguably the most distinguished of their Y2K LPs, and that would be D'Angelo's masterpiece Voodoo and the episode where Tall Black Guy helped us delve into its secrets. I have to ask you, um, how did you come to know this album? It came out uh, 2000. Tell me where you got it, when you got it. Okay, so this is in 2000. Yeah, I had just graduated high school. During that time, I mean, I was really into like a lot of the underground stuff, so like rockets and all that stuff. So I knew of D'Angelo's work from you know Brown Sugar and stuff like that, but I just seen the album. Um, went to the store and bought it and was blown away. And I think I listened to it for literally like at least six months, like just nonstop. I don't even know how many times I played the the, the player player joint. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that day this this album was crazy. And then right after that, then Common's Light Water for Chocolate came out. Then Mama's Gun came out. Then Welcome to Detroit came. I mean, like it was just so much music around that time, though. But this one definitely stood out, at least for me, anyway. It's like the first of the batch of the mini albums that came out that year. Sure. If you can recall, what were your very first impressions? I mean, I just thought musically this was some other stuff. You know what I mean? Because there was a lot. You know, because back then, people, you know, like at least in the soul stuff they weren't really heavily relying on the live instrumentation there's a lot of program stuff so like it just sounded like really organic and then obviously when you hear d'angelo sing over it, i mean it was that marriage between the music and his voice it was just absolutely insane and then you find out later like they spent like five anywhere from five to seven years just studying before they even actually made the record sure i know you and i've known you for a long time and <laughs> i love um, how many drums appear in your remixes and how you tend to pull drums from what you sample. What appealed to you about this album musically, specifically in the areas of percussions? I mean, 
if you got this album around that time and you were just learning how to make beats, Questlove did a great job of letting you listen to the album and get all the kicks and snares, percussion. I mean, he I think he knew what he was doing when he did it. Sure. And um, but yeah, just the textures of the drums and the, the, the different snares and all that type of stuff. I remember I know on Chicken Grease in the beginning of it, it's a snare that is like famous for like a lot of like more of the major ma- mainstream pop songs. But it came off of Chicken Grease. That's the one right there. Uh huh. <laughs> Everybody's used that snare before, yo. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it's, it's, it's been on so many. It's been on. Uh, I don't even want to talk. I don't even want to speak his name. I mean, we already. Oh, sure, his, sure, yeah. sure. But Chingy used it. I mean, it was. It's so many people that didn't use that snare. Track masters, they they put that snare on fire. So you know. But yeah, like the whole album, it was just full of gems. What do you hear in the album, if any, that has an influence on your sound and your production, how you do music? For voodoo? Yeah. I would say the instrumentation for sure, because I kind of employed it a little bit later. Sure. But yeah, I could could definitely say probably the live instrumentation um, is a big thing. Like I, I try to do it a lot more now. I don't, I mean, I still sample. But it's more for like texture and button, like all the other stuff is usually either I add it or I'll get some, you know, a musician to come in and add in the flavors. It was great songs, too, though. It was really great song. Can you talk a little bit more about when you say texture? What do you mean by that? Texture, I mean, because the thing is, like, when you have these these records that came, you know, before me, like, you know, like 1975 and I'm just into this a record, like, that recording right there, like we can't reduplicate that, but the texture of it and the chorus and all that stuff is a is a good base to start with. Right. You know what I mean? And like you can at least be influenced by it to to create something that can be like it, but you can't do the same thing. But I just like I'm obsessed with that with the, a lot of the the seventy stuff. You know what I mean? Because right. the sound the sound of it is just so you know is just so crisp and clean. You know what I mean? And then warm, it's the warmth to it. Was there a song? That stuck to you more than others? Oh, man. Probably Spanish Joint. Ooh. Spanish Joint was one, and then... I just love the line. The line was my joint. Yeah, the line was my joint. One of the songs I remember I am taking the lyrics and writing to a girl. But <laughs> okay, we got to we got to hear that. Listen to our black guy. This uh, heat rocks is a safe space for confessions. All right, you got to tell us about that. It was a. Uh, it was one more again. Ooh. 
Yeah, and I ended up taking 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 some of the, the I don't I mean I don't know off the top of my head, but I remember I ended up, I ended up lifting some of the some of the the, the, the the first verse to write to my then then girl I was digging or something like that, mm-hmm. you know. I know some things have changed, but last to see you. Some look good, some for the bad, baby, bad, baby. How'd that work out for you, brother? Oh, it was it, it worked. Okay, all right then. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> success. Right. Uh, Spanish Joint was actually um, the second song I fell in love with. It is tempo wise. It's different from a lot that we hear uh, on mm-hmm. here. And I think I thought because of the title that it was going to be more Spanish. Yeah. Um, but it's so soulful. Of course, this it's is soulful. Like, yeah. Super, super soulful. This is not to say that Spanish music isn't soulful, but it sounds very yeah. much um, R&B soulful in a way that I wasn't expecting um, based on, you know, you know, based on the title. But I know yeah. that there's a lot of, uh, you know, diasporic mu- music is diasporic music. And there's a lot of cro- crossover between um, Afro-Cuban, Afro-Peruvian, Afro-Spanish. Mm-hmm. You yourself have dabbled into uh, to Brazilian music many, many times in your own projects. What appealed to you about Spanish Joint? I mean, it was just the initial, the percussion, you know, and the tempo was a lot different than anything he had released, you know, that he released before and sure. then on this album. Right. When the bass comes in... Mm. And then it just they just let the they just let the rhythm kind of catch you for a little bit and then he comes in with the verse. Yeah, it was yeah, that's that's this is definitely one of my favorites. There's a lot of that on this album, and I think the patience um, with where the song starts. And mm-hmm. even how D'Angelo himself rides the beats uh, with his own vocals have has a lot to do with the fact that this is live instrumentation. Yeah. It's the time that you take and the patience that you have because you've got all those instruments and musicians in a room. Yeah. Whereas now, after a few, you know, a couple of bars and maybe some oohs and ahs, that's the song, which is hard yep. because, you know, you only got three minutes anyway. So this is uh, I, I thought this was a great build of the song. Spanish Joint is uh, is one of my favorites. I played it down on the radio. I'm sure my <laughs> listeners were probably like, please, please, Morgan, please don't play Spanish Joint again. Uh, but it was one, one of my favorites. What do you think this album offers that we can't get today in production or that production today is lacking in your in your own opinion? This this album would be kind of hard to make now because people the patience, mm. you know what I'm saying? Like you ready to get something now? It's like they sat with this record, you know, with all this stuff for five to seven years before they even released, right? You know what I mean? And in today's time, that would be too long. Like they were, like as soon as you put out a record, when's the next one? Right. And that's in like three months. When's the next one? When's the next one? You know what I mean? So it's oh, it's just. Everything now is so disposable. You know, you don't let like you don't let records just you don't sit and breathe with records for over a year. Let you know, I mean, six months, let alone a year or 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 even more. Though you know what I mean. So, I think also too because of the fact that we're not patient. I mean, patience is is one thing, but we're not patient as listeners. 
No, not at all. If you're not back in a couple of years, we are quick to declare you washed mm-hmm. and we're quick to move on. Um, and, and, I, and I can't remember the last album that I've sat with and listened cover to cover. This one to me has has really no no skippable tracks. But if there is a track on here that you think is a sleeper that doesn't get the attention that it's due or doesn't get as much hype, is there a track on here that you think doesn't get the attention that it's due? No, I think I mean I think you have to I I don't think you can really single out any one track. For me, my my own personal opinion, I think you have to listen to it from 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 song 1 to song 13. Like I like you have to do that. You have to do yourself justice and you have to listen to this record from front to back. I think you're so full with the first 12 tracks that by the time you get to Africa, you're just so worn out <laughs> because the, because the album is just so much fire when you get there. Yeah. But, but Africa's not the one to skip. It's you can't gorgeous. Skip it. <laughs> It's the benediction. Yeah. <laughs> it's the benediction. You yeah. have been in a service with D'Angelo, with the Soulquarians. Uh, you've been with Method Man, Red Man, Angie Stone, Roy Hargrove, yeah. uh, Raphael Sadiq. And by the time you get to this, it is the, it is D'Angelo pronouncing the benediction on this album. He's given mm-hmm. everything. Um, it is his prayer. And it very, very much feels like a complete a complete um, work. If you had to describe this album in three words, what would they be? <laughs> Can I curse? Yes. Awesome as shit. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hope you enjoyed our Soulquarian 20th anniversary special. Big thanks as always to our producer, Christian Duenas, who stitched this together. And without making promises, we're likely to revisit at least one other, maybe more than that, Soulquarian related show later in 2021. Stay tuned. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.